welcome. My name is Yasmin and this is the Go Within podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm very excited to share this week's episode with you and I'm really enjoying the beginning of this journey using this platform to bring you conversations about the inner world and conversations which I really believe are meaningful for our lives. This week I am sitting down with my very own sister Amber so this is even extra special. Amber has a very beautiful story of how her own inner journey unfolded and it is quite particular because she's a musician and it was and is through music that she found the tools to go within. Music is her practice, it's helped her understand herself deeper and really find her way and purpose in life. This conversation is really powerful and I think many of you will see parallels in your own lives. Amber's tool may be music Yours might be running, painting, writing, your business, your children, whatever it may be, the wisdom that Amber shares that she learned through music can really be applied to any field of life. As always, thank you for tuning in. I really hope this helps you believe in the importance of your own inner journey and gives you the faith to ride your challenges and keep on the path of self-discovery. So here it is, Amber, episode two. So here we are. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Um, so I'm looking forward to this conversation because I know you so well. I can tease out all the juicy <laughs> bits of your journey. So get ready. I just had the thought, though, that people always tell us our voices are so similar that the listeners can get really confused. <laughs> True. This is Yasmin. And this is Amber. <laughs> <laughs> so Amber. Um, the Go Within podcast. Go Within is right up your street. You know, we've shared many years of both of us sort of uniquely and simultaneously going through a very similar journey at different part in different parts of the world, but at the same time, which is quite interesting. So I know that the inner world plays a big part of your life. And I would really like you to just start by sharing what it was that really made you curious to go within you know you were living you know a normal life as we all were we both were at university in the UK you know doing the freshest thing (laughs) I was definitely doing the freshest thing drinking (laughs) a lot partying a lot I didn't actually do that that much um I I would say and it's probably like this for most people that there were many sort of little milestones on the way so it's kind of hard to to pinpoint like the major or most important one but if I had to go right back to the very beginning um it would probably be when I was on my gap year 18 traveling in southern Africa and um I was like you said just like a regular regular girl <laughs> just like traveling And there was this day where we decided to, uh, well, I was living in a village where there was no um, electricity or water, and therefore all the um, village was vegetarian by default. And on uh, big festival days, they buy animals and kill them and eat them fresh. And there was uh, Cinco de Mayo, which is not actually celebrated in Africa, but we thought we would sort of take the excuse to indulge in a bit of meat. And we bought uh, three chickens and killed them and ate them. And this was actually an experience that really shook me because I couldn't, I didn't have the heart to do it myself and I was just watching. And it was 
such an intensely emotional experience that that moment just kind of made me question everything. Um, not just my eating habits, but I guess it kind of put me into myself and question like, what is life? And once you start asking questions like that, it's kind of like Alice going through the wormhole or the rabbit hole, uh, where it's a never ending journey. So I would say that is the first point in time where I started questioning and looking at things a bit differently. Uh, and then after that, I changed my eating habits. I became vegetarian. And I think that just kind of set the foundation for a lot of other changes that were on their way. Shortly after that, I became interested in yoga and meditation. Um, by this point, I was studying in Manchester and I came across a, a group of yogis and I just started learning with them. And they had a, a technique of meditation called kirtan where they sing, um, they have a mantra and they just sing this one particular mantra and they change the melodies uh, and they spend like a good hour just singing this mantra over and over, repeating, repeating, repeating. And that just became a really big part of my life without me even knowing. Um, it, it kind of fused my new love of yoga and meditation and my interest in consciousness with my lifelong love of music and creativity. Um, so that that then set the tone for, I guess, the last decade. I'm 28 now, and that's pretty much what I've been doing for 10 years ever since. Beautiful. I mean, there's, there's so much we could dive into there. Mm -hmm. I actually want to go right back to the chicken story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, well, you've always been very sensitive and mm -hmm. very sort of considerate towards nature and, and very much valuing the role of animals and plants from a, from a very young girl you were <laughs> picking the saving. bees out of the pool <laughs> yeah. and saving the flies and it's really interesting to see that many kids who do have this sensitivity and connection to nature don't quite put the pieces together to realize okay we're we love animals but we're also eating them <laughs> yeah well I just think it's so easy to um, not realize that the food on your plate was actually once alive even even vegetables I mean like in order to sustain our life other forms of life have to die whether that's animals or plants right but it's up to us to feel into that kind of like you're saying that sensitivity to say which is the, the least violent way to sustain my life and I guess that's why it was so shocking for me because it's like it seems like a really simple realization, but it was a really big deal for for me in that moment to make the connection that what is on my plate now was once like running around in a field and I cried to watch it die, and yet you know a few hours later after we had finished sort of plucking all the feathers out and gutting it and it's it's a really gory process. Many hours after that. I was eating this chicken and, and I a part of me had no problem with it. It was just like business as usual, just like getting on with life. But another part of me was feeling guilty. And I guess that kind of seed stayed with me through the rest of my travels. And I didn't become vegetarian straight away. In fact, I we went on... Um, God, it sounds really horrible to say this now. But we went on different safaris where you can actually taste 
the different game. So I was eating like crocodile and rhino and like all of these animals that I would never think to eat. And this seed of guilt stayed there without, uh, throughout. Um, and then when I got home, I met a friend of mine who had just become vegetarian. And I mean, now being vegetarian is like fairly common. Everyone knows at least one vegan in their life, probably. At that time, I didn't know any except for this one friend who had just become vegetarian. And I had one conversation with him. And then I was like, okay, that's it. And yeah, and like I said, the rest was kind of set in motion. <laughs> The intention of this podcast was actually to discuss music, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're discussing food <laughs> unintentionally because, you know, even though you are a musician and music is you know, maybe 90% of your life, you have had this interest in foods all along. You have a degree in nutrition, you're doing a master's in vegan nutrition. Mm-hmm. So the, the food is actually a really big part of your journey. And like many of us, it is that sort of first step into becoming a bit more mindful of our choices and and what these choices even mean. Mm -hmm. I really like that you said sort of how can we sustain our life in the least violent way. And, you know, I do obviously have some experience in this field, running a vegetarian cafe and, and hearing all the different debates over the different diets. And something that I do hear quite often, which I would love your thoughts on, and obviously I have my own very strong opinions about it, is the idea that you know plants have feelings too you know if you're you're a vegetarian you're still violent it's just plant life as opposed to animal life what would be your comment about that you know it's funny how common actually people bring that up as a as actually usually it's people who are very passionate meat eaters who are like you're killing vegetables as well and they use it as like an argument to debate um i mean I don't know about going as far to say that they have feelings. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I mean, I don't know. But I think in a way that's not even relevant. I think it's more about just having a reverence for life in general, like recognizing that a carrot is alive. It, it may not have emotions, or maybe it does, and we just <laughs> don't have the scientific technology to prove it. But either way, it's still alive, right? There's like when you look at life from the perspective of like yoga where they talk about prana the life force energy that's in everything when we look at life through the lens of prana even the stones are alive you know everything is pulsing with atoms and molecules knocking about and that's that's life that's energy right but at the same time there are different levels of consciousness i would say all life is equal but consciousness is not like different forms of life have different levels of consciousness and I mean it's easy for us to say humans have the highest although maybe that's also us just uh, being a bit narcissistic because who knows well yes and no because at the end of the day if you tell anyone whose life is more important a human baby or a carrot well yeah they would all agree no but (laughs) intuitively we do know that there is some inherent value to the baby that is more than the carrot yes and maybe people don't really think to question why that is um, but I would agree totally that you know there's different levels of complexity and mm-hmm. consciousness and higher levels have more value to yeah. to the universe and I would say this is where it's important to bring gratitude in because to sustain our lives death has to happen in whatever form even when we breathe in we're breathing in microbes and some of those are dying they're being digested by our own sort of enzymes and things 
So like with every breath, actually, we're killing if you if you're going to be sensitive enough to even look at like the microbes in the air, you know, um, but that just makes it easier for us to remember that all of life is sacred and our life is sacred and we can only sustain our life by killing, I guess, but to do so reverently, to do so like, okay, to nourish my own body, I'm going to eat whatever it is that I'm eating, preferably plants because they have, you know, a lower level of consciousness than animals do. Um, and to do that with gratitude, I think makes a really big difference. And then from that place, the foods that you choose are, are greatly affected. Like, you know, I think if most people had to um, kill their own animals to eat, sort of 90% of the world would be vegetarian because many people would have a very hard time with that. And that just shows our sort of instinct to know that, okay, an animal life is more more sort of valuable in a way than a, than a plant. So I don't know, we, we can go into sort of deep <laughs> philosophy with, with food quite easily, but I want to stay on topic to, to what you're asking. Yeah, just one last thing I'd like to comment is, um, I read recently the, the book called The Secret Life of Plants, mm-hmm. where they actually hook plants up to ECG machines and measure their reactions to different stimuli. And it is really quite bizarre and interesting to realize just how much more intelligent plants are than we realize Mm -hmm. Um, this researcher actually created a bond with his plants to the point where they were so bonded that if he cut his own hand the plant would register a stress which is really interesting but one of the things they say in this book is that when we eat fruit and plants with gratitude the plant itself does not register a shock or a stress and obviously it on one level it makes sense because you know fruit especially um, we need to move the seeds as far away from the tree as possible right. so sort of animals yes yeah, yeah. so the, the plant needs its fruit to be eaten and carried as far away as possible but it is very interesting to you know find a more scientific reflection of these things that you would feel intuitively but maybe question like oh mm. is this really sounds a bit airy fairy or whatever um, but it's a really lovely book for anyone listening who is interested in in this kind of topic um secret life of plants is is a book and and also a documentary but yes let's get back on track <laughs> to your story and your journey so yoga was a way in for you to go within and to experience more of your own inner self what were the first things that maybe started changing in your life when you started this process well around that time that I it it was in fact looking back a really big year for me because I became vegetarian and um, stopped drinking in the same year and at the same time got into yoga and this was all in my first year of university, which is for most people quite the opposite. They tend to be eating, you know, pot noodles and drinking a lot and, you know, not necessarily taking care of their bodies, but just having fun, Um, which I think in in many ways is kind of a key part of most people's journey. But for me, for some reason, by the time I was 18, 19, I was like done with it. And I, I had kind of lost my interest for partying and I became very interested in yoga and philosophy and meditation and all of these things. So I guess the first thing I did was go inwards in that way where I was just kind of socializing less and 
the people that I spent time with were people that I wanted to learn from, you know, other yogis and stuff. And for me, it was all very new. So every person that I spoke to that had a bit of experience with yoga was for me really, really fascinating. Um, and I went on a couple of retreats in the countryside in England, um, which gave me a, a, a much more like a feeling of immersion. Like, okay, if I was to really live this lifestyle from dawn till dusk, how would it make me feel? Um, so I was given the tools to really sort of take care of my physical health and also emotional and spiritual connection at the same time. And and to be honest, for me, it felt really easy. It wasn't like a challenge to do any of these things. It's like what I just really wanted to do. It felt like effortless and, and like I was in flow. Um, yeah, I think those would be the, the first kind of major changes that I... And what about maybe the struggles? Because a lot of the people that I interview share that in the beginning when you start changing your lifestyle, it can cause some turbulence in your relationships with your close friends and family. And it's not always easy to change because it does affect the people around you and those people are not always happy about your change. Big time. And especially at that age, I was like 18, 19. So my friends... I think, we're like, what the hell is going on with Amber? Like, what? I sort of changed overnight. And it was probably, looking back, really difficult for them as well. Um, and in fact, um, I had broken up with my boyfriend at the time and I kind of left the group of friends who I was, I had been hanging out with since I was a baby. And I just kind of started afresh. I, I had, like, no, <laughs> no friends. And looking back, you know, I did that quite drastically and I and I don't think that that is actually the best way to have done things but I was you know a teenager I was immature I didn't really know that actually all I would have had to do was sit down and have a conversation with them and explain the changes that I was going through and maybe we would have still managed to keep a connection but at that time I just kind of cut away and really isolated myself and just like started from scratch um, and in fact, 10 years later, I've been reconnecting with some of those old friends and drinking tea ceremonies with them. And that's been a really nice kind of closing, closing the circle on that. Um, but definitely the biggest struggle was loneliness, I would say, at that time. I, as I said, I had really isolated myself from my friends in Malta. And I was in a new city in Manchester. I didn't really know many people the people on my course were also not really into the things that I was into. And I did have some yogi friends, but um, they were like a lot older than me. And I don't know, I just I didn't really see them that much. So I was quite isolated and lonely for that first year. And then uh, Alex Kakia, who I, I know you're planning on probably bringing onto the podcast at some point too, um, she was kind of a savior for me because at that point you were in Peru. So you went around and I had just gotten to know Alex and uh, I had told her, you know, all the changes that I had gone through. And, and I was like, but it's fine. I, I'm just going to spend my summer, you know, reading my, my books. I had bought like a new earth and um, what, what was that other book by Eckhart? Power of Now. Power of Now. And I was like, it's fine. I'm just going to spend the summer like reading on my own. And she was like, no, dude, like you have me. And she sort of introduced me to a bunch of other people and then life took its, took its course. <laughs> <laughs> Alex has that beautiful quality to just accept anyone no matter what they're going through. Yes, she saved me. She was very welcoming. Yes. <laughs> um, so maybe now would be a good 
chance to sort of talk more about music and its role in your journey because I feel like we all have that one thing that is sort of the basis of our practice like for me business has been sort of my way to express myself in the world and also my way to grow and learn uh, Emeline who I just spoke to a few days ago her way was yoga and obviously for you that way has been music yeah so maybe you can talk a little bit about music as a spiritual practice as a, a tool for self-development and and how your own relationship with music changed mm-hmm. um wow this is such a vast topic um and probably my favorite one so there's a lot that we can say um, your face is already uh, lighting up yeah <laughs> Um, Well, first I would say it's actually a combination of music and yoga because also the music that I love to create and that I most kind of effortlessly and in flow create is music for yoga and meditation. So I definitely have to also acknowledge the role that yoga and spirituality has played uh, on even my music journey. Um, So I think it first started with... um, Back in the day, after I left Manchester, I started singing in a band with my boyfriend at the time and a friend of ours, uh, a reggae band called Irie Flow. <laughs> and um, I mean, we were we were trying to make as conscious music as we could in in the in the way that our lyrics were usually quite positive and uplifting, and we were trying to spread a positive message. Um, but after a couple of years of that, I just started to feel like this isn't quite what I'm meant to be doing with music. I could feel like a subtle kind of calling, which it's really hard to describe that feeling. Maybe other people know what I'm talking about just because they have their own feelings of a calling, but that has been a really key thing for me in my life. Um, where it, it kind of told me like, okay, you're not meant to be singing this like, super upbeat like party kind of uh yeah upbeat music in bars and festivals you're meant to be going within a lot more so as much as I enjoyed that phase of my life I decided to um, kind of go off on my own and create my own thing and I that's when I started getting more into uh, mantra I went back to what had started it all for me at the beginning and I got quite into singing devotional music and by this point, me and my next boyfriend <laughs> at the time, um, we started our own mantra band and we we held mantra chanting sessions twice a week for about five years. Um, so that was a really long and constant practice for me and it still is to this day. Um, and then I decided to actually go even more subtle than that I felt like the mantras had the ability to make me go within and into a meditative state better than the the reggae music but then I felt like still something had to be even more inside still deeper and quieter so that's what led me to do what I'm doing now which is um, still music for yoga and meditation but not kirtan so the music is very um sort of ethereal and often doesn't use words sometimes I'm still using mantras but singing them a lot sort of slower and not in a repetitive kirtan style Um, so it's sort of like over the years my calling has been to just keep slowing down and getting quieter and quieter 
and more inward. Um, and I think from here, the only place to go is silence. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what's coming next, but I'm definitely happy doing this uh, for now. So I think from what you're sharing and from my own experience, this sort of slowing down of the music creates a more intense emotional experience. In a way, the, the kirtan, is, which I love and is so beautiful in its own right, but it's still quite upbeat and stimulating. And I guess in our lives at the moment, especially in this modern world, we have so much stimulation that when you sort of quiet and make the music really subtle, it's almost a bit of a shock to the system and it, it, it's like a trigger for a different state of being. And I think because, because the music that I make is so inspired by yoga and my own spiritual experiences, I feel like my purpose is to sort of give a, a glimpse of that feeling of grace and connection through the music. So to do that, it has to kind of be subtle because spiritual connection is subtle. It's a very sort of quiet, personal and inward feeling that's actually really hard to describe. It's a very personal thing. Um, so by the music being subtle it, and, and gentle, it gives space for each person to sort of have their own intimate experience with the divine in, in whatever way <laughs> it sort of manifests for that. And I think there's a big element of grace that comes into that. And we can't really force ourselves to have a spiritual experience. But at the same time, in a in a in the right supportive environment and with the right tools we can really bring that out in ourselves and for me music was always very much part of that environment by going to more uh, gentle music i was able to have deeper experiences myself in fact one of the artists i have been most profoundly impacted by is an american mantra singer called snatam kar i had my very first sort of spiritual experience to her music and uh, it was a very sort of flowy gentle devotional song that literally changed my life in in just the the two minutes of the song my life was changed and I, and I knew that that feeling of grace that I was feeling in that moment this incredibly deep peace and ecstasy I knew that that was what I wanted to share with the world and and my tool to do that is music. You actually just answered what was going to be my next question because <laughs> I was going to ask you, sort of, someone might be listening to this and thinking, what is grace? And just a few days ago on our retreat, you were sharing this story of hearing this music and being touched by this grace, which you described as a deep peace. And and you even had tears rolling down your eyes because it, it so moved you in your inner world. And I'm really glad you shared that story because grace is a word which has such a deep meaning. And until we experience it in our own life, it's kind of hard to really grasp what it means. And even when we do, there are such deeper levels that you can keep going into that grace. Um, as you said, it's, it's, it's a very mystical quality. But I think it's very important and very much meaningful for me to share these experiences on the podcast because my own experience like that is what changed my life. The first time I had that experience, I was in Peru and I remember just crying 
so deeply. And for the first time in my life, I said, God exists. That was exactly my revelation in that moment too. Yes. You know, before I I always wanted to believe that God exists, but I had no proof. (laughs) It sounds crazy, but I did want proof. I didn't want to believe just because it's the easy thing to do. Or just because you're told to believe. That's exactly. not enough. Exactly. I didn't want to believe just as a you know life jacket because life is chaotic and unpleasant. I wanted yeah. to believe because something in my life told me, and I, I did have that experience in a totally different mm-hmm. way to what you had. But I think it's very common that whatever there's sort of a million different things that can trigger that kind of experience. Yet whoever we are, wherever we are, when we have that experience, we all feel the same. We feel deep peace. Such a deep sense of gratitude. And tears and yes, yes, joy. <laughs> very often those tears of, of connection just yeah. sort of come down. And it's, it's a very beautiful experience. It's just ironic because it gets trickier and trickier to talk about these things. Because the closer to this sort of mystical world you get, the less words do it justice. So the only way to share it with people, you can't talk about it. Because talking about God is not going to inspire anyone. In fact, it might freak some people out because that word, I also like resisted and sometimes still do resist that word, God. It's so sort of, uh, I don't know, we're reminded of, you know, the dogmatic versions of many different religions and we just sort of put up a barrier. So if you want to share those intimate uh, emotions that we have in those moments, we can't do it by talking about it. We can only do it by creating the space for others to have their own experiences so and I know that that's everything that Sanya is is about um, and for me as well that's what what the music is all about why why is it that music does that I mean it's it is so incredible how music has this power to touch us and create these emotional experiences any any theories <laughs> oh there's so many there's so many reasons actually where shall I start well first of all of all the different forms of art, and they're all beautiful and I love them all, I would say music is probably the only one that absolutely everyone in the world loves. Like not everyone loves painting, not everyone loves poetry, not everyone loves dance, but everyone loves music. You won't find a single human being who doesn't. So there's something about music that really touches us. um, And I think there's many different reasons why. It could also be um, because music is the most etheric of all the arts. All different forms of art have a form, either an actual form like a painting or ceramics or something, or if it's not a form and it's words like a a poem or a story of some kind, it's still describing a form. So even though there isn't a physical form to that art, in your mind it still creates a form. Whereas music is the only one that goes beyond form. Music can be without words. It's not suggesting any, anything material. It only makes you feel an emotion. And emotion is not tangible. So for that reason, it takes us to this intangible part of ourselves, beyond the material, beyond the physical body, and straight into the emotional world. And the emotional world is that one step closer to the spiritual world because, like I said, it's not tangible. Um, And then uh, the other reason, which I myself feel I still need to study a lot deeper, 
is that there is actually the, the physics of sound, the way that it works, um, it's, it's sort of designed to bring out these different emotions. So for example, intervals in music, which is the space between two notes. So if I'm singing one note and you're singing another and we're harmonizing together, the space between those two notes creates a certain feeling. So all of the different intervals, you can feel some of them are peaceful, some of them are happy, some of them are sad, some of them are scary. So by using these different intervals in music, we're designing a sort of emotional roller coaster in a way for, for the listener. And when I personally, when I'm singing, I like to create uh, melodies and harmonies that are, um, how do I describe them? Sort of warm, welcoming and heavenly because through those intervals, people can get that taste of that heavenly sort of kingdom within their own being. <laughs> so if, if music has this power to change how we feel, in a, in a sense, it has the power to change who we are, even. And in that sense, we should be really careful about what music we consume. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I'm going to sort of tie this back to actually what we were saying a while ago about plants, where they did research on the effect of different music on plants and how, how the plants did when they were uh, sort of immersed in a type of music for, I'm not sure how long they did it for, probably a few weeks or something, I imagine. They had different tents and some plants were exposed to Indian music, the sitar especially, some were exposed to Mozart, some were exposed to death metal and many other different genres. And the research found that, as you would expect, the death metal music, this heavy sort of music that's born from a lot of pain, caused the plants to sort of wilt and wither away. And they found of all the different types of genres, the most healing music that had the best effect on the plants, where they were growing abundantly, was both Mozart and sitar music, the Indian system of music. Now, that's not to say that heavy metal is bad. I have many friends who actually love heavy metal. And I do think that every type of music has its place. But that also, like you said, we need to be aware of what we're letting into our world. Just like we take care of what we eat and who we spend time with, we also need to be careful of what media we're allowing in and what music we're listening to. So if you're like super angry and you need to like release, you have a lot of adrenaline pumping through and you need to release energy. Death metal has its place there. You're not gonna put on like Mozart at that point. It's not gonna be appropriate to your experience. So you can use the music, the genre of music that matches your emotion at that time in order to sort of process it. But let's say you're angry and you listen to death metal. Okay, after a few minutes, the anger needs to be released. You can't remain with death metal always. Then you put that aside and you bring in something a bit lighter. So you can use music to process an emotion, but also to guide the emotion to actually what you would rather it be. That is beautiful. In fact, I wanted to ask you sort of how can people use, use music to exactly navigate their inner worlds and sort of curate their emotional experience and lead their own ways out of 
of a heavy emotion. It's exactly that. And and nowadays we're lucky because we have things like Spotify where you can actually go and choose the choose the mood of the music because maybe you don't know music that's going to match your emotion. If you don't listen to a ton of music, you might just not really know what artists to go to. But you can go and search for a particular mood, search for angry music or sad <laughs> music. Or, I mean, I, I have memories when I was a kid of being sad and needing to cry and I would turn on this sad, soppy music and just cry. And it helped me in that moment, you know, because it, the emotion is there, but it's like a bit stuck. And that music in that moment can really help to just uh, release and then, you know, make space and allow you to feel that emotion because it's only by giving yourself the chance to feel it that then you can process it and, and move on to something else. I still do that now. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Sometimes without even intending to a yeah. song comes on and it just moves me and yes. you know there's something so beautiful in the human ability to create it's it just it still baffles my mind actually because there's if you look at all history of you know as long as man has been making music we've gone through so many different genres so many like you can't even count the different types of song and yet we haven't run out yet we're still managing to create completely unique beautiful music it's just amazing it really is infinite and in a way that is also a reflection of the divine because the divine is infinite and if music is infinite too then in some way it is it is a reflection most definitely so we've we've spoken about music now what about silence well without silence there wouldn't be music like most things that are the opposites of each other they're actually the same thing just at the two extremes kind of like we wouldn't know what black is without knowing what white is you know imagine without silence a note would just go on forever and ever and ever and that's not music <laughs> that's just a monotonous tone so it's actually the silence that makes the music or the music that makes the silence I don't know they go hand in hand you can't have one without the other but I remember a good friend of mine um who once described it to me in that way, this was like 10 years ago, and I, ne I had never thought of it in that way before, where he said, music is just decorated silence. It's just the same 12 notes that are just like hanging in different parts of the air, and there have to be the gaps between them, otherwise, otherwise there is no music. It's just like a, a crazy cacophony of sound endlessly. So silence is, is very needed, but also music can take us to our own inner silence which is maybe more the metaphorical way of talking about silence and for me that's exactly what what the yoga music is about where it's sort of uh, tempting you to come back into yourself into that own inner stillness and silence yes and really that that is sort of the beauty of yoga that even without the music yoga takes you there and the music obviously done correctly takes you to that same to that same place and that is the place of go within yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that mystical place we're making it sound really easy because you know oh just you know play this music do yoga class and go within but as we both know <laughs> it's never really quite that smooth maybe you want to talk a little bit about the sort of key moments that you were coming up against your own barriers, you know, because we want to go within, but then we come to points in our life where whatever you want to call it, our egos, our fear, our need to control, we sort of say stop here because at the end of the day, the mystical experience is scary. 
because it is the end of our identity. You know, in that moment of grace and connection, taken to its extreme, you, you forget your own identity. So it is scary, and we come to sort of points along the road where our conscious mind goes, whoa, stop, stop right there. <laughs> Maybe you want to talk about a couple of significant obstacles that you faced and how you managed to navigate them. Um, well, there are... There are always a lot of different obstacles. I think in order for me to answer this more accurately, I would say, I would, I would ask you, do you mean sort of spiritual challenges or career challenges or creativity challenges? Well, in a sense, I think they're all connected, really. I think when we come to a stumbling block, whether it's our career or our spirituality that's giving us the sign that the block is there, in a sense, they all sort of get dragged into it, I think. That's true. <laughs> okay. Well, I would say the, the, the major challenge that I've faced recently is when I decided to sort of take myself more seriously as an artist, to go off and leave, leave the comfort of little Malta, which has this little sort of safety zone, um, and and go off and and really be an artist um, and it was hard for many reasons uh, firstly I would say because how am I going to describe this so firstly I think artists in general in our society are not uh, sort of appreciated or given that much support unless you're super super mega famous well yes but when you're starting out no one is yes. right there's sort of this gap you know where like every artist wants to get to lady gaga famous right. and then be appreciated but at anywhere below that you're just not appreciated exactly at all. so when anyone is you know wanting to pursue a life in music or anything else you know dancing acting whatever it is they're they're risky careers so whenever you turn around to your family and you tell them okay i've you know i know that i just graduated in nutrition and i technically have a whole career lined up for myself, but I actually feel called to be an artist. Most families might not be so supportive of that, purely out of concern, you know, because they want you to live a comfortable life, to do well financially, and they know that it, it's hard. Like, even if you're super talented as an artist, you might still not get anywhere. And in fact, it's almost like an oxymoron to say artist and career, because as soon as you say, I'm an artist most people and the cultural norm is to say that's not a viable career exactly so it was definitely a big challenge to to make that decision and then to sort of tell the people in my life okay I'm gonna go and do this and I was actually really scared for myself scared to tell them everyone um, and then scared to actually go and do it <laughs> so fear has been like a constant companion throughout the journey and it's still very much by my side um, and maybe it always will be. Um, but funnily enough, I would say as much as I was really, really scared to tell my family that I wanted to go off and do this, um, I was met with a lot more support than I expected, which uh, I would hope that anyone in my situation would, would find that. But I definitely wasn't expecting it. I was ready to like, okay, even if they all think I'm mad and no one's going to support me, like, I know I have to do this and I'm just, I'm going to do it. And then when I started telling people, telling you guys, <laughs> um, you were all just so much more supportive than I thought. And, and then I was like, oh, but it was good that I was ready to not have the support because it gave me that sort of 
uh, courage to just face the challenge. Uh, and then once I was ready and I had all of this courage, then I was actually really like held <laughs> by my family, which was uh, very, very important to me. Yeah. In a way, we often have ourselves as our own biggest enemy. It's actually ourselves that really don't believe and are scared. And then we sort of, I'm not saying specifically to you that you did this, no, but like we I project <laughs> sort of, I don't want to say you projected it onto us. No, you know, we do project onto these people like, oh, they're going to think it's a bad idea. They're going to judge me. But actually it's ourselves who are feeling not good enough and right. like we're judging ourselves and it's almost that barrier which is the greater right and also our our family connections are so important especially in a small place like Malta we have this Mediterranean culture where we're all sort of very very connected um so sort of feeling like you're going to disappoint people is is a very hard thing to do uh, and scary at that because we don't want to disappoint our loved ones at all um, so I would say that was the, the major challenge. And then uh, after I had sort of faced that and it turns out everyone was supportive and they were like, okay, go record your album and all of that. Then I had the challenge of actually doing it, which even though uh, it's something I've, you know, I, I've dreamed of recording my own album since I was probably like seven years old or something. So even though I was going to like realize my dreams and I was excited and I had all of these ideas and I knew, you know, what I wanted to create and I sort of uh, somehow managed to attract an amazing producer into my life in, in L.A. And, and friends who were supporting me, it was still really hard to actually do it. And it made me realize that even when you work for something you love, it's still super hard. Like work is work, even if it's music or even like whatever it is sometimes it's almost even harder when it's something you love because it means more to you so the fear of failing yourself is almost greater oh it's terrifying and I, and I like I said I still live with this fear because now okay the album is done and it's available but then you have the now what syndrome right where you you're always wanting to create something amazing and share it with the world but sharing art with the world is super scary super vulnerable and I would say the biggest fear that I have to do with creativity and career is to come to the end of my life to die not having created my sort of masterpiece because the thing is with art or maybe with anything but from my perspective it's art let's say I have this goal, okay, I'm going to create my album. And then I do my album and I'm like, okay, that's good. Now I just move the goalpost further on. So every time I reach my goal, there's always this drive to create more, which is a good thing. But it's also, it's also a bit dangerous because we need to also make sure that at every stop, we're still sort of finding satisfaction and fulfillment in what we've created and not just kind of like uh, desperately seeking and therefore pushing the goal so I think my biggest fear would be to die with my song still in me to go through all my life giving myself to my art but just never quite creating this like masterpiece that I have in mind uh, but maybe I will always feel that way because I always want to up my game and create something even better that's just part of the dilemma of a <laughs> creative lifestyle yeah and the the absolutely brilliant book man's search for meaning uh, victor frankl he he says this you know we have to 
always live with this tension between who we are now and where we want to be. And where we want to be should never be where we are now. In a sense, you know, we always want to give more, love more, create more. But at the same time, we need to be okay where we are. And that is quite a challenge for us to to deal with. And I think at the moment, perhaps more than ever, because of the social media structure of our life, um, so the way social media is, it, it's always putting that goalpost and, and a very materialistic goalpost and sort of dangling it in front of our in front of our nose. And I think we have to really dig much deeper to be okay with where we are. Because in a sense, I don't know if you feel this, but this is what I feel, is that once I get that next thing, then I'm gonna be happy. Mm-hmm. Like once once I produce my album I'm gonna be happy you know once Grassy Hopper has X I'm gonna be happy and when you get there you realize that no that didn't necessarily fulfill you it's about learning how to enjoy the fact that you have this goal and that you're on the way towards it in a sense that's why all the ultimate teachings of all the different religions they all basically come down to be in the present moment because we need to be working towards something we need to be in a way you know working towards our future but if we're not here enjoying it now then it's all pointless but to be in the present means to enjoy the challenges just as much as the successes which we're not very good at I'm definitely not good at whenever a a down comes or a challenge comes it's really easy for me to just get overwhelmed and anxious and forget that you know this is part of the journey and actually when I look back I'll value those times even more um but yeah it's all about being in the present moment as a practice yeah and this is what I think yoga has taught me the most is that you do need to be humble and the downs really humble you because when you have success, it can really get to your ego and you can think, wow, I'm so great. I'm this successful businesswoman or I'm a successful artist or a successful whatever you may be. But that, in a sense, only strengthens this I identity, which takes you further away from grace. And actually, if I can interrupt you, sorry, for a moment, the I feeling is also probably the biggest obstacle in creativity in general. So just coming back to what we were saying about music whenever it's me that's creating like I am I'm creating something whatever I create is honestly like rubbish (laughs) and whenever I forget myself and I'm just so in the moment so immersed in the music and really enjoying it and I just like forget even where I am and it's just flowing that's when I create music that's um, beautiful not just for me but people give me good feedback and I can notice the quality of the music completely depends on my state of mind and I could sing the exact same song in the exact same way on one day and another and people will give different feedback you know on a day where I'm super in flow and like the ego is not there people are like crying when they listen to the music and other days they're like "Mm, that was nice (laughs) okay it's funny you said uh, it depends on my state of mind almost depends on the state of no mind (laughs) yes actually that's why I was saying before it's really hard to talk about these things because words don't do them justice how do you talk about that egoless flow state I think people can only understand it because they've had glimpses of it in their own way you know whether it's through creativity or sport or whatever it is that gets people going like I think everyone has had at least a small taste of that like flow 
feeling. And that's the egoless that in the moment, that's where creativity is born. It's what it's all about, <laughs> what spirituality is pointing to. And that's why creativity is such a great uh, spiritual path, because if you're in your ego, it's you're not creating anything good. So it's really a mirror to where sort of where you are spiritually on any given day. That's, that's definitely how I use it as a tool. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting as well to think sort of what comes first because you need to be humble to be able to have that experience of connection, flow state because you need to be able to leave your ego self behind. But then also it's being in that state that gives you the glimpse of connection that makes you humble. Yeah, in a true. sense, so it's, it's true. It's like the chicken and egg. What came first? Did we get humble first? And at the same first? time, although the, I I totally agree, the humility is so needed. It's also equally needed is is confidence, which might be seen as in a way the opposite of of humility, or maybe not. Actually, well, I I actually really. think that they're not because no, they're I think not. sort of denigrating ourselves is a form of ego. You know, mm-hmm. sort of excess humility is actually ego yeah. in a sense. Yeah. We're just scared to see ourselves, mm-hmm. which is, is I guess an ego what thing. I meant was that the, the confidence to actually do it so for example especially in the art world or I guess even in the business world as well when you have an idea and you want to create something in a way you need I wouldn't say the ego but the confidence to be like okay I'm gonna go and do this and then while you're doing it you have to be totally humble <laughs> it's yeah, I think a paradox it's also more than confidence maybe it's a bravery to take the risk. Mm-hmm. I sometimes question myself, you know, because I took on way more than I could chew over the past two years in starting Sanya. And I always question sort of, what made me do that? Like, was I a little bit mad? <laughs> but I think it's that ability to say, you know what, this means so much to me that I'm going to try. And even if I fail, then it's okay. Yeah. That's exactly the the intention I had when I set out with music. Because again, knowing that it's a big risk career-wise to be an artist. It's hard to be a success, like a financially successful artist. But I thought if I don't try, if I don't at least try, I will regret it all my life. And sometimes success is just in the effort. Like even just by giving something your all, you've already succeeded because you've done it. And then whether the world, you know, thinks your music is amazing or not is actually not really relevant as long as you did what you are called to do. And it's actually very dangerous to measure our success on what society sort of appreciates within us. Because, first of all, so many great artists were only recognized after they died. It's so depressing, but <laughs> so true. Which is sad, but, but very true. Yes. But also, when you think about it, the majority of society, the masses, we can say, do not have a deep level of spiritual connection and, let's say, education or culture to be able to judge art uh, or, or to judge anything like me, myself. I couldn't judge the work of an engineer. I have no skill or knowledge in that field. So, you know, we do things which are niche and which are our art. Then we want the mass to appreciate that niche thing. So in a sense, it's we're setting ourselves up for failure from the beginning. And this is actually the main teaching of all the mystics from every tradition around the world is to do what you have to do without being attached to the result of your action. 
But again, it's so hard and all the more harder that we carry around these little screens with these uh, numeric measurements of just how great your photo is <laughs> or just how great so you are. And the ironic thing is you could be like hugely successful on Instagram, like have like millions of followers and your feed looks beautiful and everyone's loving what you're doing, but you're not actually necessarily doing it so for example I could on my Instagram really give give the image that I'm this amazing artist all I would have to do is write very short one minute songs because that's the maximum that the video <laughs> would allow and if I was sitting in a bikini while I did it it would be all the more successful but I could actually behind that screen then not even be creating anything else so the world would have this impression of me as a great artist but actually behind closed doors I'm not so I think like as much as social media is, you know, a useful tool for marketing and all of that, it's like we need to just be in this daily reminder that it's actually what happens behind closed doors. It's about you and your creation, whatever it is that you're in the flow wanting to create and whether people like that or not is irrelevant. Because especially when you look at creativity as a form of meaning or purpose, I, I really believe that we all have a creative flair in us. It's not like some people are artists and some people aren't. And maybe it's not going to be your job to be an artist, but you have a passion for something. And it's only in doing that that you're going to get that like flow state and self-satisfaction. And none of this is Instagrammable. You know, it's just you behind closed doors playing the violin maybe quite badly until you learn. But if you're in the flow and for you it's like really enjoyable and gives you meaning, then that's what really matters. I think also what really fulfills us is serving and impacting. Like a lot of artists create for themselves, but they also create to touch another human being. Like you say, you want to share your music because you want to inspire that sense of connection in another being. And you know, measuring that through how many people we reach is also like a very dangerous road because as you say, you could put a, a one minute video on Instagram that's not deep at all that might reach a million people. But those million people are not going to have that experience of grace. And then the next day you could be doing a sound healing session for two people who have paid 10 euros each and they have the most significant experience of their life. Now, in modern terms, the more valuable one is the one million views on the social media, not the two people with those tears of connection rolling down their face. But if we want to really look at it from a lens of depth, then you would say, well, there's just no comparison. Being with those two people is infinitely more valuable. Yes. So we also have to have that inner anchor to really understand, okay, what is really creating value for other human beings in this world and I think deep down the sense of fulfillment that you get from impacting those two people is so much deeper than from your video going viral definitely I guess it's a, we need to remind ourselves daily of how we want to define success instead of letting society or Instagram or whatever define it it's up to us to say okay like for me as an artist like you're saying my goal is to impact people deeply so therefore, if I've impacted just one person deeply, I've already succeeded. So it doesn't matter if I'm financially successful from my art or not. What matters is how deeply I'm touching people. And in fact, um, I was really inspired by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Big Magic, which is definitely a book that I think should be compulsory for all human beings. <laughs> 
um, where she says your art should not necessarily be your job because you can't put that financial pressure on it. As soon as you say like your art needs to make you money, then you you lose why you're doing it. And you're going to compromise it. And you, Yeah, and it's very easy to, to end up compromising it. So even if you choose not to keep your art as your career, maybe that's even better, you know, and you have your nine to five job. And then after that, you go and just freely and passionately give it your all in the studio, you know. I have to say, me personally, I, I struggled with this quite a bit, is sort of judging my success through social media. Um, and in the last six months, I really changed that. And I just, I post on social media now more as an expression and just putting that drop, uh, sort of like a hobby as opposed to, oh my God, this is the way to success. You know, mm-hmm. if I don't have X amount of followers, you know, when I get to 10K, I'll be happy. When I get to 30K, I'll be happy. Yeah. And I really just flipped the switch on what I do. And I just said, I'm going to focus on delivering the most transformational experience to our clients within Sanya. And if I keep doing that, then the word is going to spread that people are coming here and having great experiences and more people are going to come. And I have to say my level of peace of mind (laughs) and the reduction in my stress from just completely abandoning social media as my tool and measurement of success has really really impacted my life yeah i'm gonna take a note out of your book yeah guys get off the instagram measurements i mean like you said we can still keep it It, it's more like our relationship to it you know where it's not yeah it's not such a name definitely you know it's all about how much importance you give it and how much you're letting it sort of be the driver of 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 what's meaningful and valuable and to be honest for me like and maybe this is a bad thing i don't know i'll I'll ask for your feedback (laughs) um but i absolutely abhor the idea of hustling and I think this probably is is a result of the time I spent in LA I I was in LA to record my album uh, last year I spent a few months there and as much as it's an amazing place and there's so many creative types and there's like so much going on and it's amazing there's also this intense like almost like desperation of like the hustle everyone's like hustling and like working their asses off and there's just so much stress and I was like whoa like this this is not for me especially like it's quite a contradiction to the kind of music I'm creating which is supposed to be you know instilling peace in people if behind closed doors behind that peace there's me like really stressing out and like hustling my ass off then I feel like it kind of defeats the point so what I'm trying to learn, and this is one, one of my resolutions for 2019, actually, is to still work hard and, you know, be really dedicated and give your whole self to something, in my case, to my music, whilst also like being completely like not hustling and just doing it out of joy and, you know, from a peaceful place instead of a stressful place. And uh, it's already, you know, and the way I relate to social media is obviously sort of bundled in with all of that. Yes, because I was, you know, this last year, I was putting quite a lot of attention on to, towards my Instagram because I thought like, okay, I'm an artist. Like now I, I need to like get my music out there. I need like as many people to hear it as possible. And it's so easy when you get in that mindset to just start getting obsessed with those numbers instead of, being like, okay, but am I impacting people deeply? That's the most important thing. And am I creating my best work? I yes. think that that is really the, the, the question. 
Yes. So yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, for me, the hustle is um, not not my vibe at all. In fact, I always laugh with Rach, the manager of Grassy, because uh, she had mentioned to me Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like the epitome of the hustle. Like his uh, social media is all about like hustling and rise and grind and like sell all of your stuff to make money on Amazon and uh, all of this kind of thing. And um, for me, I just didn't resonate with that at all. As you know, I work very, very hard, but I work hard not because I want to hustle and I want to have some sort of material success. I work hard because I genuinely believe in what I do and I love it. And there are most days in my life where I would get more satisfaction out of working than out of relaxing. And Like I love surfing, you know, and surfing is a really beautiful sport. This morning I could have gone surfing and there are great waves today, but I honestly felt the beauty of coming and sitting here with you and having these conversations, which to me means so much. I actually get more satisfaction out of that than going surfing. Now, call me crazy, but I do believe that we we need that meaning. We need that that project or that create, creative endeavor that is meaningful for us. And when we have that, the fulfillment within your soul that you're working towards that, again, always if you don't focus excessively on the outcome... I think is is really the the biggest cure for stress and depression. I so agree. In fact, isn't there that quote? I, I don't know who originally came up with it, where they say, love what you do and you'll never have to work a day in your life. And it's so true to work for something just out of joy instead of like fear and stress and all of that. Yes. And, you know, just a note to those listening, you know, it sounds easy to sort of do what you love and you'll never work a day, but we do also need to do the work on ourselves to strip away those things that are stopping us and holding us back from what we love. Because, you know, you might have heard the term the shadow, but we do all have those things buried in our subconscious mind that are sabotaging us and are holding us back and are keeping us lazy and are making us feel like we don't deserve it or that we're not good enough. And, Honestly, and I'm sure Amber will agree and can share her own stories, but working on my shadows are the thing that liberated my creative energy so that I could then put it forward into my projects. If I had started my projects before I had adequately released all of these sort of safety switches within my own mind, then I don't think that I would have been able to do it in the same way. Yeah, and in fact... um... In this last, I would say I've been taking myself sort of seriously as an artist, like purely doing just music for only a little bit more than a year. So it's not been long. But in this year, the tools that I that I had to employ to kind of sift through that shadow, which was stopping me from doing it in the first place, I, I had to use many tools, including like holotropic breathing, family constellations, going to see a therapist once or twice a week for like a few months. Um I really delved into my shadow quite deeply in order to give myself the space to then like finally be able to go and and follow my calling as an artist. But it was amazing to see just how many complex things were sort of getting in, in the way of that. And often, you know, which is usually the case for pretty much everyone, it's family issues, you know, issues with authority figures, parents, siblings and so on. Um, and then pointing back to our sense of self. So sifting through all of all of that stuff, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of work and it wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy year. But 
so deeply satisfying because like you said to live for something that has meaning for you is in a way the purpose of life no in fact my father funnily enough got me a book for christmas called ikigai which is the the japanese uh, philosophy of living living your purpose uh, and in fact in this book first of all they they say about how important it is to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning to have a passion or a project of some kind that you're excited about that makes you want to just like jump out of bed um but also and he in fact also mentions Viktor Frankl in this book Man's Search for Meaning um where they used they've been using helping people connect to their purpose in order to actually cure cancer and they were having some successful wow. cases I and mean, I was really I was reading about that this morning unbelievable that is how powerful having a sense of meaning can can be wow I'm really glad that you mentioned the particular tools that helped you deal with your own shadow because I'm on a mission to make therapy cool again <laughs> <laughs> I'm on that train with you're you. on the train <laughs> Um, I haven't actually ever seen a sort of therapist one-on-one, but I've done a lot of work which could be classified as uh, therapy work, breath work, particularly, and and family constellations, um, and just general diving into my archetypes. And uh, the last conversation I had with Emmeline, she was also sharing how her um, relationship with her therapist really sort of changed her life. And I really do believe this, that you know, going within is challenging because we do come across all of these blocks and and having someone who can support you. um, It doesn't necessarily need to be an actual therapist, but just someone who has walked those steps before and has navigated their own inner world. Because I believe there are some therapists who haven't done that work and maybe aren't even really equipped, especially if we're going to sort of bring the more spiritual dimension into it. Um, And then there are other people who, like Viktor Frankl, you know, (laughs) who just had a crazy life experience that gave them that that wisdom and that map for the inner world. Yeah, I mean, when I was going through my therapy sessions uh, last summer, I I was at a place where I knew that there was nothing else that could help me. Um, I was so stuck. And to be honest, at that time, financially, I wasn't really in a good place. And sort of financially, it was not the right time to be paying, you know, 40, 80 euros a week, seeing a therapist. Um, But I knew that it was actually more important for me to spend money on that than anything else. And more important than to spend that money rather than having savings. And, you know, this is what I save for, for moments like this. And in fact... You know, I had zero money coming in. I only had money coming out. So it was stressful from that point of view. But it was like gold for me. Um, just having someone who who knew what I was going through intimately to be able to just just navigate. It's, it's when you're in it, when you're in the chaos yourself, like if you're in the sea drowning, there's choppy waves everywhere. When you're in it, you cannot see clearly around you. But someone else who's on a boat nearby <laughs> or like a lighthouse, they're like, listen, like there's just like a raft over there you could hold on to. Or, you know, maybe that's a silly metaphor, but just... No, it's a beautiful... When someone is seeing a situation from the outside, they have a lot more clarity than when you are in it from the inside. So... Uh, yeah just for me it was a really valuable tool and the family constellations as well I have to say it um, was a lot and I'm I've always been quite open-minded but it was a lot more powerful than I even thought it would be 
That was actually my first dive into this work, the family constellations. And yes, it is so powerful. Um, yeah, so I think that's a beautiful place to come circle. We've been talking for over an hour and 10 minutes. Wow. Flown by. Um, <laughs> I like that we mentioned the man's search for meaning. Uh, as we were talking about it, I, I had this idea that maybe every podcast will have at least one book or maybe just one book yeah. recommendation. Oh, so. One only? Because Big Magic as well is Okay, up, we'll have two for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I don't know if you'd like to share. Um, I like to close off with giving people some tangible tools to help them go within. I know you already mentioned the family constellations and the therapy but maybe there are some other things mm -hmm. that you can share with people that, that stood out for you to really help you. Well, definitely, uh, I, if I could be a bit more uh, vague about it, instead of giving like one specific tool, it would be more of a recommendation where just have a daily practice, whatever it is. So maybe it's music, maybe it's sport, maybe it's meditation whatever it is have some time in the day where it's just you and your practice and your flow um that has been really instrumental for me having a daily practice a check-in um and also journaling it just sacred time with yourself alone in the morning before the day starts and whatever you do with that time is up to you but having that time is is really instrumental i feel to just keep in connection with yourself 100% agree and at the end of the day we need to go within but to go within we do need to invest time definitely time and sometimes money into that process so but one thing we can say is that that investment will bear some really beautiful fruits actually more fruits than you could probably ever imagine yes and more abundantly and that's where the sharing comes into it that then you get to share the, the gifts of your own practice with others Yes, and you know, going back to the meaning, that is actually the highest, highest meaning we, we can possibly find. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you for coming, sharing your story. Such a pleasure. I hope all the listeners out there enjoyed the conversation and took some wisdom from it. I, as always, really, really, truly appreciate you tuning in and being part of this uh, community where going within is taking a new level of importance in our lives and we need to support not, not only ourselves on this journey but also our loved ones specifically if they're going through you know challenges with stress and anxiety it is a crazy world out there and I do believe that going within is is the biggest buffer to dealing with that 100% agree <laughs> thank you see you soon <laughs> and you. blessings on your inner journeys Did you know you can get more value from your Medicare coverage? Choose Optimum Medicare HMO and get medical and prescription drug coverage. Plus, enhance benefits like dental, vision, and an allowance for over-the-counter products with plans starting at just $0 per month. The Medicare annual enrollment period ends on December 7th, so visit us online today. Learn more at OptimaHealth.com slash Medicare.
Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!